If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 9, and as we uh, continue now, Jesus is going to, in essence, illustrate. Remember in John chapter 8, he's been at this Feast of Tabernacles. He's been largely in the temple annex, the temple complex itself. He's been speaking largely to a religious audience, and he is now going to set about actually giving illustration to the things that he said. As you might expect a good teacher to do, it's one thing to give someone principles. It's another thing to tell them how to put it into practice. And so Jesus now is going to begin to illustrate the fact that he is the light of the world, the fact that he is the great I am, which we just sang about. Jesus is I am. And if he doesn't do something uh, to begin to show people who he is, maybe that message is going to get lost. So he is going to set about making sure that people fully understand exactly who he is. And so the first illustration is this blind man. And a study, uh, we'll pick up in verse 1 of John 9 down through verse 12, and a study that I've entitled uh, Blind Man's Bluff. I don't know how many of you have ever played that child's game. I personally hated it. I, I didn't like being it. I didn't like, you know, pestering people, so I was not very good at it. But I can tell you this, there are people in life that are fully sighted, that are completely blind, and there are people in life who have no sight, and they can see very, very, very well. And so the blindness that Jesus is going to heal in this man is real, but the blindness that is most important is spiritual. And so the Lord is going to illustrate that he is, in fact, God's own son, that he is, in fact, the I am. And so we'll pick up here in verse 1 and take this first portion here of John chapter 9. Would you join me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, as we have come today, uh, just having spent our, our Easter week at your throne room of grace, Lord, so many of us just still uh, on a spiritual mountaintop right now because you've brought us to this new place. And we just ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon us afresh and new. Uh, instruct us from heaven. Pray that you would minister to us through your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in John chapter 9. And now as Jesus passed by, and so you can kind of see he's changing from a more formal setting inside the temple He's now going out. We know that this must be at the gate of the city of Jerusalem. And remember, the city at that time, much smaller than it is today, even much smaller than just uh, the walled portion of the city today, which is still relatively small, but it was smaller still then. So Jesus is going from the temple compound, and he's going to go out uh, one of the gates, likely the eastern gate. That was the golden gate. It was the place where most of the wealthy people would come in. So normally, those who would beg, those who would seek to get alms, would be outside of the eastern gate or the golden gate. And now Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth. And here's where you come into this picture. Here's where I come into this picture. Anybody in here prone to ask God the why question? Lord, why did you allow this in my life? Lord, why does that really awful, horrible person get so many blessings when they actually belong to me, God? Why does that person who obviously has had a rough go of it, why are they getting more of the same? You see, if we're honest, we all ask the why question. But that's not the most important question. 
And in fact, most of the time, even if we get an answer to the why, which we may or may not get, and most often we don't, we'll have another why question within 10 minutes of getting the answer to that one. Notice the why question. And his disciples ask him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Again, I draw your attention to you, and I I can't tell you if you struggled as I did as a young person, because you see, I actually believed that God was angry at me most of the time. And I was pretty sure he was out to get me. And the reason was this, I deserved it. I sinned, I knew I sinned. I had issues. And so my natural thought process was, he's going to get me. And so I was constantly asking questions like this. Why is this happening? Lord, was it because last week I did something you told me not to do? Is it because I I didn't do what you did tell me to do? You see, you're in this story. You may be perfectly sighted. Maybe you have corrective lenses as I personally wear. Maybe you're here today and perhaps you're actually literally blind. The question is, are you spiritually blind? And that is where this begins to unfold. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, and here it is, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, The night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He said, look, this is an issue of blindness, and in this case, two types of blindness. And when he had said these things, he makes the miracle Messiah mud. He spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. You will not get this at at your ophthalmologist if you go in to see them, so have no fear. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. The word Siloam means to be sent or to send. And so he went and washed and came back seeing And therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Another said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. You can see the perspective of the various people. It's like, No, it's not him. Yeah, it's him. Yes, it's me. You see, we all see things in life, and we, from our own vantage point, see them the way God allows us to see them. And we can see exactly the same situation and come to very different conclusions, amen? Just like me and how I felt about God most of the time when I was younger. It's like, he's going to get me. I deserve it. It's coming. 
And so I wandered around very often thinking about, well, this is just payback. I I knew this day was going to come. Verse 10, and therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he said, a man called Jesus. Now remember, he's not seen Jesus. He did what Jesus asked. When he left, he was blind. And when he comes back, Jesus is gone. And so all he knows is the name of Jesus. It's all he knows. All he knows is the name of Jesus and the words of Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of our salvation experience. It's all he knows. A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so when I went and washed, I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. A blind man who receives sight. You see, when you think on this passage, there are so many things that you can draw from it. But blindness is really a beautiful picture of our own spiritual condition before we come to faith in Christ. You see, physical sightedness can actually lead us sometimes to the wrong conclusion. I've seen a lot of things in my day, and I've come to a conclusion because I think I know that I know without hearing from the Spirit of God. I just simply look at the facts, and I make up some conclusion about the facts that I've seen. I I can actually reason some kind of answer. And that's exactly what these people are doing. They're reasoning an answer based on the things that they have seen. But they are not reasoning an answer based on what the Spirit has spoken to them, simply the facts that lay before them. Facts can be very misleading, can't they? Matter of fact, facts can lead you to the wrong conclusion. They can lead you to blindness. Matter of fact, people who can actually see very well can make very poor decisions. I would not have wanted to have stood on the floor of the Senate today and made the same case that Daniel Webster did in in 1848. 1848, they were debating uh, about including a couple of states into the United States, and he said this, he said, I've never heard anything, I cannot conceive of anything more ridiculous, more absurd, more affrontive to all sober judgment than the cry that we are profiting by the acquisition of New Mexico and California. They are not worth a dollar. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he wouldn't say that today. You see, he had all the facts. People had given him a report, but he came to the wrong conclusion. Then you can take someone, the life of which uh, is just amazing. Some of you, if you grew up in a denominational church setting and a denominational church background and you're used to singing out of a hymnal, uh, some of the greatest hymns that have ever been written, some of my favorites, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine, written by Fanny J. Crosby. When Fanny Crosby was eight years old, she actually had a cold. And you talk about some parents who could see but were blind. They decided to make a poultice out of ground-up mustard seeds and water. 
And they put it in her eyes, and within an hour, she was completely blind and would remain so the rest of her days. But interestingly enough, about her life, she would begin to not only appreciate the fact that she was blind, but she was actually asked if you could do it all over again, if there was medical care available that could restore your sight. She said, I wouldn't accept it. For I have seen more with the eye of the Spirit in my blindness than I would have ever seen with my eyes fully sighted. And she would go on and write some 8,000 songs and poems Occupy the hymnals of churches to this day. You see, you can be completely sighted and miss it, like Daniel Webster, and you can be completely blind and get it, like Fanny Crosby. It's a work of the Spirit. It's God at work in our lives. And the spiritual blindness is the far more important thing that we need to take up today. You see, the people were thinking this was some kind of Christian karma. It somehow was, man, I did something good, I'll get something good. I do something bad, I'll get something bad. What goes around comes around. But during that day and time in Palestine, most people believed in some form of reincarnation. Very much like Hindus do today. And in fact, if you're a practicing Hindu, uh, most believe that you need to make at least 600 laps in order to get it right. Now, I'm not fond of living out one full life, but 600, that's just cruel. But the whole point of reincarnation is this, that if you're, you know, you mess up in this life, you come back maybe a little lower, but you'll have some knowledge that you'll use to do better the next time. A lot of people think of God that way. And so these people were actually kind of blaming God for this karmic experience, if you will. And so they asked, you know, man, this guy must have really, really horrible parents. It's either that or he was really, really, really awful as a child. The moment he was born, he must have been so hideous that God looked at him and said, man, you're done. And it wasn't that at all. And Jesus says so. Some of them, no doubt, remembering the Ten Commandments themselves, actually the expanded version there in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you look at that command, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and then it's followed with make no graven image, don't worship it, don't bow down and serve it. And it goes on to say, for I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of them who hate me. It's like, may the fleas of a thousand camel infest your armpits. You know, it was like, it was like this, it was this horrible experience. It's like somebody sinned in your family and you're doomed. There's nothing you can do about it. And that wasn't God's point at all. God's point at all is if you want a godly family, live godly in your family. If you want a family, if you want your children to follow Jesus, parents, let me give you parenting one-on-one. If you want your children to follow Jesus, you follow Jesus. That's the short path to it. So that commandment was, if you want to follow God, you need to follow God. It's not going to happen by being dosed and doused in this world. So Jesus begins to give them the actual answer. You see, it wasn't some kind of karma at all. 
And it wasn't the result of the parent's sin or the man's sin. It was the result of sin, but sin in this world, not of the individual. Romans chapter 5 is actually very clear. You see, the result of Adam and Eve and their little escapade there in the garden is we have all been born with a sin nature, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so every last one of us has a sin nature. And the result of sin, Romans chapter 5 says, is death. The reason you will actually one day take your last breath is because all have sinned, and the result of that is physical death, but God's remedy to it was he sent Jesus into the world that though you will actually take your last breath, you will not die. Hallelujah. See, that's the good news. The bad news is you're still a sinner, and the good news is you've got a greater Savior. That's the beauty of this passage. Jesus is saying you need to focus on the right things here. All physical problems. It's a result of this fallen world that we live in. That's why I, I say so very often when people come to me, it's like they, they want to know why, why my child has this sickness. Because we live in a world that's filled with sickness and no one's immune to it. There is no specific answer. All I can tell you is that God will use all these things because his word faithfully says he will. I know his promise to me is good. It's not evil. Jeremiah 29, 11 applies to me. It applies to you. I know my thoughts towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts, plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. But all along the journey... You may not always experience good things, practically speaking. But I can tell you, your future is really bright in him. Because one day you're going to step out of time and into eternity. And it's going to be all good. I know that Romans 8.28 is true. That all things, every last thing in your life, whether it is practically good, practically bad, or somewhere in the middle, near neutral. All things work together, combined together in God's great plans in his hands, his mighty sovereign plan. All things work together to the good. Please know that verse properly. It doesn't say they are good. Cancer's not good. Blindness is not good. Car wrecks are not good. Your house burning down is not good. If you think your house burning down is good, and you go, oh, yay, my house burned down. We need to talk. Because <laughs> you have an issue. It's not saying that. It's not saying, well, just smile. You, you, somebody died in your family. It's saying that together, taking all the component parts and pieces of your life before a holy God who loves you deeply and desperately, so much so that the light of the world came to save your soul so that you could spend eternity with him, that God will work all those things ultimately in heaven together, and you're going to go, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen? It's important to get that system right. It's not the one thing that we look at. It's not the how come he's blind thing. It's how is a loving God going to use that blindness for his glory. That's what he did in Fanny Crosby's life. 
That's how short-sighted Daniel Webster was. He obviously never made a trip to California. I think I'd rather live here than, you know, here in Washington, D.C. in the swamp. You ever been to Washington, D.C. in the summer? It's next door to hell. That's why they can't get anything done in Congress. It's like 100 degrees, 100% humidity. No, we we get so short-sighted, family. And so he's looking at the eternal. And so all these things, this picture, the Lord's answer here. Why did he make this clay? I mean, think about it. You're blind from birth, and this guy you can't see says, wait a second, I'm going to spit in the dirt, and I'm going to put it in your eye. You're not going to let him touch you. But Jesus has a plan. Can I tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life? And it's good. Now, it may take a little mud in your eye every once in a while. And here's why. You see, that mud was a picture of you and me. What was Adam made out of? Mud. Dirt. Clay. Throughout Scripture, we're, we're likened to clay. I'm a clay pot in which God has somehow dumped treasure. That boggles my mind. So in one sense, the incarnation, Jesus came as a man, amen? He was identifying with your clay and my clay. And so the clay is kind of a picture of us as humans. But he takes his clay, and what does he do with it? He sticks it in his eyes. Can I tell you, I think I know why he did it. If you've ever had dirt in your eye, there's not much you won't do to get the dirt out of your eye, Amen? He's giving him an irritation so he can give him some illumination. Anybody had any irritation and all of a sudden you had some illumination that came from it? Something bad happened in your life, you've got mud in your eye, and you get it out and go, man, I will never do that again. That's God at work in your life. But this man has to believe that there's some good in the irritation. He has to believe that there's some good that's going to come. That good is going to be illumination. He's going to have the light go on in his life. And when he does, he's going to be able to see. And then he's going to be able to identify with what has happened. So the incarnation leads to the irritation, which leads to the identification of the things that you need to be and those things which you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, we have a process that's before us. And this little tiny example of this blind man who was blind from birth, you're blind from birth when you're born spiritually, amen? You who were once dead in your trespasses and sins, he hath made alive. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. You see, this is the picture of before and a picture of after. And in the middle, God does some irritating. He said, Jeff, I'm going to make your life a little bit messed up. Because I want you to be able to see one day. And all of a sudden, those things that have been going on, you thought were meaningless. You, you thought somehow maybe you'd messed up and God was just like mad at you. No, God was actually trying to get your attention. 
you see, the problem was this. And when you think about it, these religious leaders didn't want to face the fact that this guy was actually able to see now. And there's only one thing he knew. Isn't this crazy? Think about this. Can you imagine? I'm pretty sure the guy wants to find Jesus and put a hug on his neck. Amen? At least, don't you think? But the only thing he knows is he was a man called Jesus. Because that's the only thing anybody needs to know to be able to see spiritually. You need to know Jesus. All I know is Jesus touched me. And I went from irritation to illumination. That's all I know. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, lest any, any one of us should boast. Amen? All I know is Jesus touched me. But I know this, I'm not what I used to be. You see, I used to be blind, and so did you. Before you met Jesus, maybe your blindness was drugs. Maybe your blindness was alcohol. Maybe your blindness was money. Maybe your blindness was power. Maybe your blindness was bad relationships. Maybe your blindness was you were a money-hungry, absolutely awful person. Maybe your blindness was violence. And then all of a sudden, here comes this carpenter from Nazareth who steps into your life and touches you, and all I know is I was once blind, and now I see. That's it. But people want to know, well, why? How did he do it? And so you imagine the guy looking at him and go, it was Messiah's miracle mud. Yeah, I got a jar at the temple, and they prayed over it, and they blessed it, and they put... All he knows is a man called Jesus. But who had Jesus said who Jesus was? I am. I'm the light of the world. Remember what he said to this man. I am the light of the world. While I'm here, I'm the light of the world. So what this man actually knows is the light of the world touched him. And his name is Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of all of our salvation experiences. What this beggar really needed was for the light to shine in his life. You see, sometimes we're waiting for something monumental to happen when it's actually already happening. But when you're blind, you often don't know you're blind. Amen? Anybody in here had that experience before you came to know Jesus? You didn't know you were actually blind? I think most people actually fall in that category. You were just doing what you do. You were doing what you knew to do. You were living out your life according to the dictates and principles of your flesh, and you didn't know any better. You see, you were, you were kind of living out a life that it described... Uh, Madeline Engel wrote a story, and it's based on a couple of short stories that were written by George Orwell. For those of you that don't remember 1984 or Animal Farm, these dystopian novels about, you know, this world has gone awry. But Madeline Albright was a fan of George Orwell, and after reading these, she started writing her own short stories. One of them was called The Severed Wasp, and it was based on her own experience at a picnic. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever had your picnic interrupted by wasps, yellow jackets. 
those things, they came out of the abyss with Satan, I think. And they, they can rule, they'd like overtake your picnic. But I've actually had the same experience. And she said, here I was eating my jelly sandwich and along comes a wasp. And so I did what I thought best and I cut him in half. And interestingly enough, as he began to crawl around my plate with jelly oozing out of his severed neck, he did not know what had happened to him until he tried to fly away. That is a picture of people's lives without Christ. We don't know we've been cut off from God We have no idea that we can't fly to heaven. We don't know that we can't go where we want to go because we've been cut off from the lifeblood. And so this man receives sight. He now knows that he's whole. He he now knows, all he knows is I was blind and now I can see. All he knows was his life was transformed. That light shone in his life. And now all of a sudden, though he never, we have no record yet to this point that he sees Jesus at all. But he's standing there fully sighted, testifying the fact that all I know is I met Jesus. That's you and me. The circumstances are different. We'll see this whole theme outworked through the rest of this chapter, really. And as you think on it, Jesus was very clear about who he was. He's continuing to to build on the things he's already said, he's already done. He takes command at that first miracle at the wedding at Cana of Galilee and takes water and turns it into grape juice. He's wandering around the region of Galilee and he does miracle after miracle. Can you imagine those thousands of people that were sitting down at that picnic and somebody pulls out five barley loaves and a couple of fish and Jesus said, it's okay, I got this. While the disciples are going, hey, send them away, we don't have enough food. You see, Jesus is now going to bear witness that all the things that he had been doing all along prove that he is exactly who he says he is. And can I tell you that in this room, you are proving exactly who Jesus is. Because your life, my life, our lives, cumulatively and collectively, show that we have the same faith in that light of the world. This man believed that's all he did. He didn't get a second opinion. He didn't call up his HMO. It's like, hey, this dude uh, like told me to put mud in my eyes. And like, I think it might work, but I don't know. <laughs> he didn't. He just goes to the pool of. Can you imagine? He's totally blind. He's going to the pool of Siloam. Can somebody help me get to the pool of Siloam? What are you going to do? I got mud in my... Well, we can see that. We can get that out. No, don't touch it. 
I am going to do what Jesus told me to do because I believe. Amen? That's it. You see, we want to add all this stuff to it. Believe and. And he just says believe. That's all this man did. All the way down. And coming back, he is a new creation, is he not? He can now see. Now his whole life isn't better. Can I tell you, he just gave up his job. He was a beggar. Nobody's given money to a guy who can see now. Can you imagine the sign? I was a former blind person. <laughs> oh, good one. You know, you can almost see him kind of going through the whole thing. No, he's lost his only way of making a living. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many former drug addicts? How many former drunkards? How many former criminals of every kind and flavor? I lost my job. I gave my life to Jesus. Amen. You see, it's a real simple picture of the gospel. Look what happens. You have to hear the words of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Amen. And you have to believe. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be washed. First John 1, 9 says what? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then what happens? The light comes in. I am a new creation in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live for him. Now, that's why Jesus said to the disciples, I'm leaving. You're the light of the world. I'm still the real light, but I want you to shine on the people that are still here. It's just simple faith in the light, family. And in that sense, all that happened in this whole story was this man was at the point of impact where the light shined in his life. You know, now you you can buy like 7 billion candle power flashlights, right? They're tactical flashlights. The law enforcement uses them to temporarily blind people. It's like... You can use them on your kids. <laughs> You're not driving. How come? Because you can't see. <laughs> but it was the point of impact. The beam of the light of Jesus had shone in this man's life. And all of a sudden he's going, I, I don't know what happened. All I know is I can see now. That's all I know. I was blind before. Now personalize it. You see, you had the same experience. Maybe you were literally blind. Maybe you were spiritually blind. That, I can almost tell you, certainly was the case. You may have not known it. Maybe you were deaf to the things of God, but now you can hear them. Perhaps you were a drug addict, but you're not anymore. Maybe... You were homeless, and now somehow the Lord worked in your life, and you gave up what was keeping you in bondage, and all of a sudden, now you're more than able to take care of the needs that you have for your own family and yourself. How many ruined marriages were touched 
by the light of the world. Amen? How many people do you know that were once in bondage to some kind of sin that are now walking around in freedom? They were in some emotional prison or maybe they were even literally diseased and now they're well. I are still praising God about her dad. Her dad was supposed to be gone a long time, like seven, eight years ago. He has stage four leukemia. Doctors say, well, you better get down or he's going to die. He's still around. Power of prayer. All he knows, he loves Jesus. You, you see, we can sit around and talk about why? Why? See, that's the question we want to ask in our humanness. But the real question is who? You see, the real question is who? Let me give you the answer. Jesus. The answer, the real answer, is a who. It's not a why. It's not a what. It's who. And his name is Jesus. Amen? He's the light that shines in our darkness. He's the one that made this man able to see. And he is the one that can do the same for you. Amen? Would you stand? Amen. And maybe you came today and you don't know Jesus. That's the one piece of information that I want to leave with you today. And we have a a prayer team in our prayer room. And maybe you want to know what it is to know Jesus. I'm just going to ask you after we close in song, go to our prayer room. It's over here to my left, your right. There's a whole team of people in there. They'd be delighted to share with you the simple gospel message. Give you a get started packet. Give you a Bible if you need one. Pray with you to receive Christ. But for the rest of us, we got a job to do. That's to go be light in this world. To go shine for Jesus. So that the world can see what Jesus can do. Because I was blind and now I see. And you are blind, and now you see. So go tell people that you can see because of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus so that we can see. Lord, thank you for making me able to see. Lord, I I was thinking about it between services. Lord, I was so blind. I couldn't see myself. I couldn't see what you were doing. But Lord, you came into my life and set me free in that process of getting from then to now. Uh, Lord, hasn't been perfect, but you've walked with me all of those days. And so, God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy poured out upon us. Thank you for making us sighted again. Lord, thank you for taking the clay out of our eyes and, and opening our eyes that we can see the light. Bless us, Lord, this week as we share you with the world around us, God. Would would other people come to know you because they've seen a little bit of that light shining in us. In Jesus' name, amen.